And, and so this Sunday is the Sunday where we say we're going to commit ourselves uh, to another year financially supporting uh, Green Tree. By the way, this is really kind of a little bit off the topic of the sermon. I was online yesterday and doing my giving online yesterday. I was just reminded how easy that is. So for everybody that, that is even better at me than computers, you really want to take advantage of that because it is very simple. Um, but the Green Tree Spiritual Family, our mantra at Green Tree Community Church is, is something along the lines of we want to give our time and our treasure and our talent to God's mission of making, uh, excuse me, of growing disciples, of planting churches and renewing communities. We want to be actively giving on a regular basis of our time and our treasure and our talent to what we believe to be God's mission in the world. Not Green Tree's mission, but God's mission, which is growing disciples, planting churches and renewing communities. Now, the danger, I think, that, that there is with, with a, a Sunday like Provision Sunday, which always comes around once a year, is for us to kind of go through the motions, for this to be a somewhat of a, of a rote exercise. Uh, and, and the danger I see on a couple of fronts, one is that this, uh, this activity on our part and our giving could actually be done void of prayer. And I mentioned last Sunday that I hope that, that you would take time this week to pray about your commitment of your time and your treasure and your talent to Green Tree. And I challenged myself to do the same. And I did not spend as much time in prayer as I should have this week, but I did refocus just a bit. And it reminded me how important that everything we do, whether it's going to Joplin, whether it's teaching a Sunday school class, whether it's taking a meal to someone or or deciding what our financial commitment is going to be to, to this congregation, needs to be covered in prayer. And if we're just going through the motions and say, yeah, it's, it's the stewardship Sunday again, here we go, uh, without prayer, I think we're missing an important ingredient. The second is, I, I think at times like this, when, when you know, the world is not in a great place from, from a, a point of the economy, uh, when you know, just about every country is feeling the pinch to one degree or another, and our country and our community is, is no different than that, we may just you know, kind of be reserved to settling on, on getting by. Uh, just trying to pay the bills as much as we can and, and, and tighten our, you know, our buckles as much as we can. And I will say again, Green Tree's team that watches over our finances does an excellent job with that. We do not waste money at Green Tree Community Church. But it's, it's a different thing to, to say that, that, that you know, it's good that that happens, but at the same time, uh, you know, let's just try to make sure we can get by rather than uh, really being fueled by a vision and a passion that should define the people of God that should mark our way. Disciples of Jesus at Green Tree Community Church, we should be passionately engaged and faithful to God's calling in our lives, whether it's as a group, whether it's as a a, a congregation, whether we're doing something uh, together, or whether it's individually in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our offices. We need to be fully engaged with God's vision, with God's mission for this world. And I think at times perhaps we can become dull to his mission. My mom sent me a great story this week about a guy who wanted to plant his tomato garden, but he wasn't able to because his son, who normally would dig the garden for him, uh, had ended up in prison. And so he wrote his son, whose name is Vinny, a letter. No offense to any of you from the Italian uh, community. I think it's stereotyping at its worst. I just got the story off the internet, so don't be offended. Uh, but Vinny is in prison, and the dad writes and says, Dear Vinny, I'm feeling sad because I won't be able to plant my tomatoes in the garden this year. I'm too old already. I know if you were here, you would happily dig the plot for me like in the old days. Love, Papa. And he got a letter back a few days later, dear Papa, don't dig up that garden. That's where all the bodies are buried. (laughs) Love, Vinny. 
At 4 a.m. the next morning, FBI agents and police arrived and dug up the entire area without finding any bodies. They apologized to the old man and left. The next day, he received another letter from his son. Dear Papa, go ahead and plant the tomatoes now. That's the best I could do under the circumstances. (laughs) Actually, if you're Italian, you should be proud of that. (laughs) Goofy story about an old man in a garden. What's that got to do with us? Vinny didn't see the bars. He saw the opportunity. And that's my, my hope for myself and my own walk with Christ, and it's my hope for my family, for my wife, for our kids, that we would be faithful in following the passionate of heart of God in every area of our lives, that we don't see what could hold us back. We don't see the the potential restrictions that are there, but rather we see the opportunity. Today I want to to revisit uh, through the reading of uh, Romans chapter 9, uh, verses 30 through 33, our standing with God. I want us to remember that our confidence is in Him and not in ourselves, that we may recommit to His calling as a congregation. So Romans chapter 9, verses 30 through 33, and then I'm going to read the passage that's already been up there the last couple of weeks, which is the verse out of uh, chapter 15, verse 7. Hear the word of God. Paul says, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is a righteousness that is by faith, But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written. And here he quotes from Isaiah. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And then Romans chapter 15, verse 7, Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning desiring to worship you as we have sung praise to your name as we have honored you with our, with our lips and our voices and our instruments that are, that are here played so beautifully. Uh, Father, we, we long to worship you and pour out our hearts to you as we listen to the stories that were being told about just everyday life and things that happen, and yet how your grace pierces through even the darkest of moments, and how you, you, your love is boundless. You, you know no limitations. It doesn't mean that our lives are simple. It doesn't mean that our lives are easy, but it does mean that we can trust in you even in the scariest of times. And Father, as we think about the the finances of Green Tree, we think about uh, the economy in general, and these are fearful times from a human perspective. But Father, don't let us see the obstacles. May our motivation not be, can we just get by until things get better, because that's a focus on us instead of focusing on your provision of faith. So Father, I pray that we would worship you now with our minds and our hearts, that you would teach us your truth not so that we would meet a budget, but so that our lives would be transformed from the inside out, that we would look more like our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Father, you know all of my sin, you know all of my inadequacies. There's nothing hidden from your sight. Father, I confess those to you and ask that you would not allow anything that I would misspeak or anything that I would do to hamper what someone would know 
about Jesus. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and open our hearts and minds and lead us into your truth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I want to begin this morning by looking at our standing, our identity, as it were, uh, in Christ. And I want to look at verse 30 as uh, beginning to unpack that just a little bit. In Romans chapter 9, verse 30, Paul says, What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. Now, the bigger conversation in Romans uh, is this question of God's plan of salvation. And as you look at the Old Testament, it's clear that God is doing something very special with the nation of Israel. And that there is an opportunity before uh, the Jewish community of the Old Testament to follow God in a very uh, specific and enlightened way that was not necessarily revealed uh, to the surrounding nations. And yet all of that was foundational for God coming to, to send his, or sending his Messiah, the Lord Jesus, to come in order that all the nations of the world would be blessed. And so it was a bit surprising to, to the nation of Israel in Jesus' day and in Paul's day, just a couple of decades afterwards, that this, this relationship with God was actually given to the entire world and not just to the Jewish people. And so Paul is, is, is in the middle of that bigger conversation. But for our purposes this morning, what, what drew my attention as I read this passage was that the Gentiles did not pursue righteousness, but they have attained it. They've attained this right standing with God. They have attained God's favor and God's blessing without work. They did not pursue God is what, is what Paul is saying. They, they weren't saying, okay, Lord, we're working really hard and we want you to see our good works and our, and our righteousness and we want you to reward us for that effort. Paul says here that God kind of snuck up on the Gentiles. They weren't expecting this. They weren't putting any effort towards it. And yet by grace, the Lord Jesus Christ was offered to them in the same way in which he was offered to the children of Israel. You see, friends, our standing today, whether we're, whether we're a Gentile or a Jew, if we are in Christ, our standing is through God's grace and no credit goes to us. This righteousness is by faith. It's by trusting that, that someone outside of you has done something apart from you for your benefit. Luther called it an alien righteousness. I'm a little uh, timid to use the word alien because it, it means something a little bit different. You know, we get little images of E.T. or Sigourney Weaver trying to blast all the, all the aliens off the ceiling. Uh, alien simply means something that comes from outside of you. And you are loved by God and you belong to God through Christ, not because of what you've done, not because of what I've done, but because of what God has done for us. And so we can take no credit for our standing before God. Um, I didn't realize this until Friday that the speed limit on Essex between Kirkwood Road... Why are y'all laughing at me? Between Kirkwood Road and Geyer is actually 25 miles an hour, which is why I was going 40 miles an hour, because I thought the speed limit was actually 30. Actually, we were coming from, we were coming from a, a very sad funeral, and I wasn't paying attention at all to how fast I was going. But I turn right on Geyer, and there's a police car behind me, and he pulls me over. And he comes up to the window, and, I, and I, I knew I stopped at the stop sign, and I was taking Cindy back to Kirkwood High School, and she's like, don't say anything. What would I possibly say that could offend this officer? So he comes up, license, you know, um, um, insurance card, handed out the window, don't say anything. He goes back to his car. Uh, he's there for a couple minutes. He's like, you're going to get a ticket. You're going to get it. He comes back and he goes, I'm just going to give you a warning this time. That never happens to me. 
that I always get the ticket, no matter what. It's unbelievable. I'd be going 31 and a 30, and I would get the ticket. I cannot stand up here this morning and boast about the fact that I got the warning. All I brought to that equation was going too fast. I needed somebody else's grace. I needed someone else to have mercy on my wallet. And that police officer was very gracious. So I can boast about him. I can boast about his kindness. I can say, if you want to get pulled over, get pulled over at Harrison and Essex. I don't, I don't know if he's working there today. But, I, but all I brought was my breaking of the law. And sometimes I think as believers, we forget that and we walk around like we did something to earn this salvation. And friends, our standing is completely because of the grace of God. And so we must be aware of the temptation towards self-righteousness. Look at what Paul says in the next couple of verses. He says, Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. So here's the question for you and for me this morning. Do we approach life based on a faith journey or based on a works journey? Do we approach our life, no matter whether it's sitting down in the morning, opening up our Bible and having our devotions, based on faith, or do we do it because we think God expects that of us and we'll be better if we do? Do we live our lives by caring for our next-door neighbor and doing something gracious for them because by faith we understand how God has been gracious to us, or we do it in order to brownie points? So we say, hey, God, look at what I've done. Now you've got to be nice to me. When you put it in that kind of stark terms, it kind of jumps out at you. But I think we need that kind of reminder, at least I do, because I am tempted to be right there along with Old Testament Israel and think of my life as if it were based on works. Paul isn't saying, and I'm not saying that the good works are a bad thing, but they're a terrible thing if that's your basis for thinking God is going to be pleased with you. He is pleased with you because he's pleased with his son. And if you come to him by faith, you are in that same identity of Jesus. Before we bring our commitment cards this morning, we must never lose the understanding that our right standing with God is based on his mercy through Christ Jesus. But not only do I want us to revisit our standing, but I think this passage also helps us remember our confidence. Look at verse 33 with me, if you would, for just a moment. Behold, God says, and here we're quoting, uh, Paul's quoting Isaiah 26. Behold, I am laying in Zion, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. We'll come back to the second part of that verse in, in just a moment. But notice who's doing the work here. Notice who is the craftsman. Notice who is the, who is the general contractor. Notice who is the, the architect, the one who is doing the building. God says, I am laying in Zion this stone. God is the one who is building his house. Now, if that's the case, then why bring our pledge cards forward this morning? God doesn't need our money, does he? If he's the one who's building his house, well, God partners with his people in this process. God is the builder, and we are his building but we are also his subcontractors. I want you to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 with me. Paul says, as you, or Peter says, as you come to him, as you come to Jesus, he's, going, he's referring again back to Isaiah, if you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood 
Peter's saying two things there, and he's complimenting what Paul is saying to us in Romans. God is the one doing the building. As you come to God, don't think you're coming because, because you're the best. You're coming because God is bringing you. God is drawing you. And he is building a house through the precious chosen son, Jesus. And we are living in Christ and because of what Christ has done, we're, we are passive. We're being built up as a spiritual house for the purpose of what? To be a holy priesthood. What's the role of the priest? The role of the priest is twofold. It's to represent God to the people and the people to God. Very simply put, that was the role of the priest. And all the different things that the priest uh, did, his role was twofold. The people and the people to God. Very simply put, that was the role of the priest. And all the different things that the priest uh, did... His role was twofold, to represent God to the people. So the people would come and say, what's the Lord's will? And the priest would teach. And he would exhort and he would explain. He would unfold the law of Moses and and he would represent God to the people. But then he would go before God on behalf of the people and he would offer prayers on behalf of the people. As we were in that awfully sad funeral service on Friday, and if you know the Lemke family, continue to pray for them. Jared was 19 years old. He was killed in a motorcycle accident. Uh, last, uh, last Sunday morning, early Sunday morning. But the priest was offering prayers on behalf of the entire congregation. I just prayed on behalf of the entire congregation. Maybe some of you were praying silently. Maybe some of you were just listening to what I was saying. But the role of the priest is to do that, to say to the Lord, Lord, on behalf of these people, let me share with you our hurt and our concern. Jesus is the perfect priest. He represented us perfectly before God. So we are, we are uh, remembering that we are both the building as well as the builders. We have a responsibility to take this good news and share it with others. Now, I'm going to go down a side road for just a second because Peter says the same thing that Isaiah says, that this one who comes to him has been rejected by men. Uh, And if we go back to verse 33 for just a second, Paul uh, mentions that as well, a, a rock of offense, a stone of stumbling. The side road I want to go down here for just a second is that there is a message within Scripture that is offensive to mankind. It can be offensive to mankind. It can be both joyous and it can be both grievous depending on how you take it. If you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that might be offensive to you. You might be offended to say, wait a minute, I don't want Jesus to be the only way. I've I've decided there need to be a bunch of ways towards God, and that really bothers me. I, I, I want to reject Christianity because Jesus offends me. I understand that. I don't agree with that, but I understand it. And I, and I appreciate where you're coming from on that thought. But there isn't any other offense that's listed in Scripture besides Jesus. And I say that to warn all of us and to encourage all of us as disciples of Jesus, let's not let our lives be the offense. Let's not let people miss seeing Jesus because they looked at us first and they can't even begin to figure out how to connect those dots. If Jesus offends you, we're not going to stop preaching Jesus. If you're looking for a church this morning, you want to find a place that just makes you feel good by your effort and your, and your, and your work, you've come to the wrong place. Because we acknowledge here that we're broken people and our efforts and our works will never be enough to satisfy God's demand for perfect justice. But we rejoice in the grace of God through Christ. Because our standing is by his mercy and by his faithfulness. But friends, we need to live that out. If you stumble over Jesus, so be it. But God forbid that people would stumble before they ever get to Jesus. Because they look at my life or your life and they see something that doesn't look at all like Christ. 
Let's come back to our confidence for just a minute. What does Isaiah say and what does Paul affirm here? That those who believe in him will not be put to shame. The idea there of not being put to shame is, is somewhat akin to a court of law where you are, you are found innocent. The, the, the jury's heard the trial, they've heard the prosecution, they've heard the defense, and you have been declared innocent of all wrongdoing. You're shown to be in the right. Ultimately, God will vindicate his name in and through his people. There will come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Read Philippians 2 for that, for that teaching. There will come a time when every person will acknowledge that Christ is Lord. So for those who put their confidence in Jesus today, their hope, their trust, their assurance is that they will not be put to shame, not because they get it right, but because Jesus has gotten it right for him. And even if in this world they're persecuted for their faith, even in this world they're laughed at or scoffed at for being narrow-minded or thinking, oh, believing in old wives' tales, so be it. But there will come a day when our hope will be sight, when the reality of our salvation will be true for all of eternity. And that is our assurance, even in present difficulties. Did you listen carefully to those stories this morning? Those were not kind of happy, free-flowing stories about life being good and there being no problem. The Murphys talked about their their suffering in the context of their son who has epilepsy. Amy's story revolved around the the arthritis with which she struggles uh, and and how difficult that was after their child was born. And she she was very nice. She could have talked more about her pain and her struggle, and at times it's very intense. And yet in, the, in both of those stories was a, was a quiet confidence that our trust is in the right place. It hasn't been completely fulfilled yet, but our confidence is in Christ. And I believe those two things. I believe understanding, our, understanding that our standing is by the grace of God. And remembering that our confidence is in him and not in our ability allows us to recommit to his calling, which brings us to the verse that we've looked at for the last couple of weeks. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. What is Paul saying there? He's saying very simply this, God's grace applied to you and God's grace applied to me and God's grace applied to every disciple of Jesus must flow to others. Welcome others as Christ welcomed you. It's not a suggestion. It's an exhortation. It is a command. Paul's not saying if you get around to it. Paul is saying, let your life be marked by one thing, that you understand how much God has welcomed you by his grace, and that flows out of you, and in turn, others feel welcomed by you. I began to think about the term welcomed as Christ welcomed you, and I began to think about, well, how has Jesus welcomed me? What does that actually look like? And I'm going to give you, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time, I'm going to give you my three words, but I'm not going to put them on the board because I don't want you to automatically uh, just take them for your own. These are my three words. You can't have them, okay? I'm not, not in the mood to share this morning. No, I, I want you to think about what it means for you to be welcomed by Christ. Because these are just, these, I think they're all accurate, and they could be yours, but you may come up with some other terms, so I don't want to box us in. But here are the three words I came up with. Jesus has loved me sacrificially. We don't put that cross on the stage every week because it's a nice ornament. 
because it looks good. Uh, the guy who made it, a phenomenal job. But we don't put it up here, you know, just kind of as some, you know, something to, to bring out the ambiance of the room. We put it up there to remind us that Jesus sacrificed himself. He gave everything. Death, even death on a cross, so that Tom Ricks could have life. I'll never offer a sacrifice to anybody anywhere close to those kind of proportions. Jesus has welcomed me sacrificially. He's also welcomed me joyfully. He didn't do it resent. Out of, you know, oh gosh, I really don't like Tom, but I guess I have to do this. If you read in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy set before him? Well, just when you go home, look in the mirror and you'll see it. It's you. It's me. It's anybody who comes to him in faith. That was the joy so that he went to the cross. And it says he scorned its shame. He made a mockery of the shame of the cross. And instead, it has become the most triumphant picture in all of history because it depicts Jesus' welcoming spirit for you and for me. He welcomes us joyfully. And he also, the third word I came up with was completely. There's nothing lacking in Jesus' welcoming. I'm not going to get to heaven. He's going to go, oh, no, I didn't really like you. <laughs> Change my mind. You know, that last 10 minutes of your life, you really blew it. I'm sorry. You can't come in. <laughs> It's done. It's sealed. It's complete. I can't add to it, and I can't take away from it, which is great because sometimes I think I can add to it my self-righteousness, and I need to confess that sin, and sometimes I blow it really bad, and I go, man, I got to be outside of God's grace. There's no way he's going to love me after this, and yet Scripture's clear. God's mercy knows no boundaries. It knows no limits. I think Patrick and, and Katie and Amy said that to us this morning in that they started to get the outer edges of that. They felt it through people in Green Tree caring for them, whether it was you know, offering someone to, to uh, watch their little ones so they could come to church and, and have an hour to worship, or whether it was Amy talking about how people uh, came, people brand, you know, we probably should have done a little bit better job of editing that video because she says, complete strangers came into my house and held my baby. They were people that they knew through Green Tree Community Church. She just hadn't met them yet. And, uh, but literally, they had been here, I think, on a few weeks, and, and folks were over there taking care of them. They felt that. They experienced that. But then what, did, what happened in their hearts? They wanted to give that to others. It gave them the opportunity to recommit to the, the calling that God has placed in their lives, even in the tough spots. I mean, this is what Patrick said. I don't understand how little guy can have this happen and how God can be all-powerful and all-gracious, but he knows that he is. He's not going to have that answer until he gets to heaven. We, we can't answer that question. That's a mystery to us. It's known only to God. But even in those difficult moments, there's a sense of standing in God's grace and longing to share that with others. So a backyard neighbor who, who loses a child halfway through a pregnancy has strangers come to her house from Green Tree and bring her food. Why? Because there's a commitment to the calling of God that we want to pass that on to other people. When disciples of Jesus focus on our standing of grace in Christ, confident in God's strength to build us and to use us in his building, participating in his mission becomes the most natural thing in all the world. And that's the provision of faith. What God has given to us in Christ, we can joyfully share with others. May we be faithful in our day. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you this morning as the King and the Lord of all that is, the ruler of the universe, the great I am. You know no limitation, no boundaries of your power, 
and no boundaries of your grace and your mercy. Father, we thank you that, that you as the limitless one have used your power, your majesty, and your glory to bring about our salvation, that you have treated us with mercy and with kindness and with grace.